the old pilot's plain tales around the world in 20 days. In 1872, Phineas Fogg and his valet Jean Passepartout circumnavigated the world in an effort to win a bet. Originally published as a serial, so contemporary and knowledgeably written, many thought that the story was real. Since the novel was published the following year, many have recreated the adventurous journey following in the footsteps of the fictitious characters from the famous starting point at the Reform Club in London through the exact list of cities and replicating every mode of transport except one, the balloon. This isn't because balloons aren't a practical way to travel, which is predominantly true, but because in the original story, Phineas Fogg didn't use one. Whilst balloons were well known in 1872 and Jules Verne, the author, described them in other books, the original novel lets Fogg dismiss balloons as useless for travel. What a sensible chap. It was the 1956 movie adaption of this famous novel that introduced this unlikely way of circumnavigating the world when Fogg purchases a hot air balloon from a Thomas Cook agent, which he succeeds in flying over the Alps, part of which is Mont Blanc at 15,781 feet, without oxygen. He spent the flight sipping champagne, which at an outside seasonal temperature at his altitude of minus 25 degrees centigrade, minus 13 Fahrenheit, would have been well chilled if not frozen solid. Despite this, the film won five Oscars, including Best Motion Picture. Phineas chose an interesting design for his lighter-than-aircraft, since the most efficient balloons for long-distance travel are rosier balloons. Invented by Jean-Francois Pilatre de Rosier in 1784, his concept used a combination of a lifting gas and hot air within the same envelope but in different chambers. This has the advantage over a typical hot air balloon since the lifting gas can carry the majority of the craft's weight and the lift from the hot air is less than is usually needed. This cuts down fuel consumption to a fraction of that needed and allows for very long flights. This concept, invented at the dawn of flight, was used by the most advanced record-breaking balloons in the world over 200 years later. Gerosia's place in history comes not just from his balloon designs. He was one of two men who would be the very first to leave the Earth's surface and fly in an untethered aircraft. The French king, Louis XVI, had decided that the first man flight would contain two condemned criminals, but Gerosia was determined to be the first. He persuaded the king that the honour of becoming the first balloonist's should belong to someone of high status. The king acquiesced, so Delosia and the Marquis de Londe clambered on board. The balloon that the Mongolfiers had constructed was their largest yet, and 75 feet 23 metres tall. It was made from taffeta and richly decorated with golden figures on a deep blue background. It rose from the platform containing a smoky fire, but on board there was a lit brazier to keep the balloon aloft. 
During the short flight, de Rosier noticed that burning embers were scorching the fabric and endangering the structure. He kept the fire at bay with damp sponges and by beating it out with his coat, whilst they rose to about 3,000 feet and drifted about 9 kilometres, 5.5 miles, staying airborne for 25 minutes. De Rosier went on to build his own balloons and planned to fly the English Channel with one of his own special designs, since the Montgolfier balloons couldn't carry enough fuel to stay aloft for the required time. He supplemented the hot air with hydrogen gas, but before he could get his project off the ground, he was beaten to the punch by a Frenchman, Jean-Pierre Blanchard, and an American, Dr. John Jeffries, who made the journey from England to France in early 1785. Despite this, with a companion, he set off from Bologna-sur-Mer to fly from France to England in a rosier balloon. After a good start, fickle winds blew him back over land. Then tragedy struck. Perhaps not surprisingly, the mixture of hot air and the highly flammable hydrogen gas resulted in fire that deflated the balloon overhead Wimaru, causing it to fall over a thousand feet. Both men were killed. Nevertheless, Rosier had assured his place in history, and his design is one that balloonists today make practical use of. The modern version of the Rosier balloon looks more like a spaceship than the earliest form of air travel invented by man. The renowned company Cameron Balloons constructed all three Rosier balloons that have completed successful non-stop flights around the world, and they are also responsible for three-quarters of the world's specially shaped balloons. Early ones were personally designed by the aeronautical engineer Don Cameron himself, and out of his factory came the Fantasia Castle, a bust of Beethoven, trucks, shoes, telephones, motorcycles, dinosaurs, dogs, rabbits, and even Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, all of which have provided a colourful extravaganza in our sky. The technical aspects of a record-breaking rosier balloon present a markedly different challenge from creating a flying minion. Minions hardly need the advanced Kevlar and carbon fibre composite weave, lightweight burners, titanium fuel cylinders and pressurised gondolas required to allow a balloon to fly in the stratosphere, where the temperature can easily reach minus 70 centigrade and the air is so thin that without an artificially created atmosphere for the pilots, death would be startlingly rapid. Cameron's reputation as a leading light in his craft has been recognised worldwide, since 85% of the balloons from his family-run factory in Bristol are shipped abroad. Don survived an attempt at achieving a transatlantic flight when weather brought him down within sight of the French coast, but others didn't. There were 14 previously known attempts that killed five crew members. The first was in 1873 and only travelled 45 miles, but the fate of some others is still unknown. The balloon Free Life was launched from East Hampton, New York, in 1970, piloted by Malcolm Brighton with Rodney Anderson and Pamela Brown on board. When the pilot, whom they had been counting on for the flight, withdrew close to the time of departure 
Anderson hired Englishman Malcolm Brighton, 32, whose ascent in the free life was to be his 100th and his last. The free life attempt was the first to use a rosier-style balloon for an Atlantic attempt. Built by Mark Seamich, it used a combination of helium and hot air. Below the spherical helium gas cell was a conical sleeve where air could be heated by burners in the same way as a normal hot air balloon. By varying the hot air temperature, altitude could be maintained without having to release helium or drop ballast. The burners were principally used to compensate for the lack of solar heating at night. The weather was perfect. Families picnicked and parted. The giant yellow, white and orange balloon, seven stories tall, was spectacular. Spirits were high, and the 1,500 well-wishers seemed to share a sense of participating in something extraordinary, cheering their ascent. Disaster struck 30 hours after launch. A hot air mechanism designed to maintain the balloon's altitude at night failed when it encountered a high-altitude cold front and a severe rainstorm they were forced into a night ditching in the Atlantic about 600 miles southeast of Newfoundland. The last message from the free life was We are ditching. We request search and rescue. For 14 days the waters were searched, but all that was found were a few items from the gondola. Light Heart was a different design, consisting of a sealed and pressurised envelope suspended from a cluster of ten super-pressure balloons. In theory, such a balloon can retain a constant altitude over very long-distance flights. After his takeoff in February 1974, Colonel Thomas Lee Gatch, Jr. suffered a failure of one of the balloons which slightly reduced his ability to attain the planned 39,000 feet. Gatch maintained radio contact with passing airliners, at least two of which had to manoeuvre to avoid his craft. His last contact was with BOAC Flight 583, at which point he was nearly a thousand miles northeast of Puerto Rico. He continued to drift south of his planned course, passing well to the west of the Canary Islands, drifting towards Africa at a mere thousand feet. The gondola was boat-shaped and designed to float, but no trace of the balloon or its intrepid pilot were ever found. The Atlantic was eventually conquered by a pure helium balloon, Double Eagle II, flown by Ben Abrizzo, Larry Newman and Maxie Anderson. The first double eagle had failed in its attempt when, after being blown off course, it was forced to ditch three miles off the coast of Iceland. On the second attempt, having left from Presque Isle in Maine, they landed 137 hours six minutes later in a field of barley near Paris, despite being offered the opportunity of touching down at Le Bourget Airport where Charles Lindbergh had landed, having covered a little over 3,000 miles. When it came time to return to the United States, Air France gave the pilots and their spouses free tickets on Concorde to make their journey home. Other successful transatlantic flights were made, such as Sir Richard Branson and Pierre Lindstrom's flight in the hot air balloon, the Virgin Atlantic Flyer. 
The balloon was the largest ever flown at 2.29 million cubic feet and used solar heat absorbing fabric to boost the effect of the propane gas burners heating the air. Whilst the two-man capsule was pressurised to allow the crew to survive at high altitudes. Despite losing a fuel tank on takeoff, everything went as planned, with them picking up a jet stream, a current of fast moving air in the upper atmosphere, at only 27,000 feet, which boosted their ground speed to 130 miles an hour. The flight progressed perfectly until the landing phase. With fog reported in their landing area in Scotland, they decided to bring the balloon down in Northern Ireland. Touching down 31 hours and 41 minutes after takeoff, they immediately bounced airborne again and continued up to avoid power cables. Now repeatedly dipping into the Irish Sea, the explosive bolts that would release the gondola failed, so they decided to abandon the balloon, with Lindstrand jumping first. Before Branson could join him, the change in weight took the Virgin Atlantic flyer back up to height, leaving him stranded on board. Branson managed to bring the balloon back down to a height from which he could jump safely. With the Atlantic well and truly conquered, the next challenge was the Pacific Ocean. In one respect, this was an easier option, since the jet streams over the Atlantic change frequently, whereas the subtropical jet streams form two almost continuous bands of fast-moving air, about 30 degrees from the equator. Compared to the Atlantic crossing, however, this would be a marathon. Ben Abruzzo and Larry Newman, however, had again beaten Branson to the punch in their helium balloon Double Eagle 5. They took off from Japan on the 10th of November 1981 with Ron Clark and the thrill-seeking restaurateur Rocky Aoki on board. They spent four days, 84 hours and 31 minutes to be precise, carefully navigating the balloon along the jet streams until, weighed down by ice and buffeted by a storm, they crash-landed in Northern California, ending the nearly 6,000-mile flight. The success of Ben Abruzzo's flight didn't dampen Richard Branson's effort, and his new balloon was even larger than the previous one. At 220 feet high, it would have dwarfed the Statue of Liberty. Their target wasn't just to be the first hot-air balloon to cross the Pacific Ocean, but a bigger one. Sadly, as they flew away from the southern tip of Japan and started their long journey, an accident with the balloon's controls put paid to any hope of something bigger. They managed to jettison two-thirds of their full propane fuel canisters. Lindstrom did the calculations. There was little point in ditching where they were, nearly a thousand miles from Japan, but they had to finish the crossing in only 30 hours. It meant keeping up an average ground speed of over 170 miles an hour from then on. That no manned hot air balloon had ever crossed the Pacific or attained a speed of 170 miles an hour didn't really matter when it was their only chance. They took it, riding a jet stream at speeds reaching 218 miles an hour. The next day they slammed back to earth on an unnamed frozen lake deep in Canada's Northwest Territories. 
It was the longest manned balloon flight ever, helium or hot air, at 6,700 miles in 46 hours, 16 minutes, and at an average speed of 145 miles an hour. Since then, the ultimate goal of a round-the-world balloon flight has been achieved three times, and the first was by Bertrand Picard and Brian Jones in a Cameron R650 Rosier balloon called Breitling Orbiter 3. Steve Fawcett, Branson and Lindstrand attempted a rival flight the year before from the Moroccan desert. Branson was to fly over the Himalayas, violate Chinese airspace and cross North Korea, but despite their best efforts, they crash-landed in Hawaii on Christmas Day after falling out of the jet stream. Picard and Jones's journey began amongst the majesty of the Swiss Alps, ascending into the morning air amid the cheers of thousands of spectators. During that first day of flight, they had beautiful views of Mont Blanc and the Matterhorn. They passed over Italy, then flew south and west over Mauritania to catch the jet stream eastward. By the fifth day, they were over Libya. They raised and lowered their altitude to ride the optimum jet streams at the right speeds so that their path eastward was as controlled as possible. Over southern Egypt, the Sudan, and then India and Bangladesh, before the difficult task of crossing China without going over the forbidden 26th parallel. It was a close call, but then they faced a 10,000-mile stretch of water across the Pacific. For six days they were almost becalmed before the right jet developed and rushed them on over Mexico. They began drifting down to Venezuela until they climbed high enough to pick up the currents they needed to continue. Back on course, over Jamaica, they only had four out of 32 fuel tanks remaining. Despite their concerns, they maintained their progress to cross their original track over Mauritania after 19 days, 21 hours and 47 minutes of flight that covered 26,050 miles. The successful balloon circumnavigation by Picard and Jones in 22 days stands as an impressive technological accomplishment and an inspiring testament to human endeavour. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find out all about that at AirlinePilotGuy.com And if you're listening to this, you'll also know that Plane Tales is a standalone podcast. If you enjoy our show, then... Why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice? We'd be very grateful. And thanks very much for listening.